for the Royal Observatory's Look Up podcast. I'm Jess. And I'm Ophelia. And we're going to highlight what to look for in the sky in March in this cosmic diary. When looking at faint objects such as stars, nebulae, the Milky Way and other galaxies, it's important to allow your eyes to adapt to the dark so you can achieve better night vision. Allow 15 minutes for your eyes to become sensitive in the dark and remember not to look at your mobile phone or any other bright device when stargazing. If you're using a star app on your phone, then switch on the red night vision mode. So our time with Orion for this stargazing season is coming to an end, as we approach the spring when Orion will be too low on the horizon to be seen. If you want to catch the last good glimpse while this constellation is still high enough in the sky not to be disturbed by light pollution, now is your chance. So next time Orion will be back in our night skies is November 2023. But until then, we'll get a chance to enjoy all the spring and summer constellations visible throughout the rest of the year. So together with Orion, we're also bidding farewell to Sirius in Canis Major, which is the brightest star in the entire night sky. To find Orion, look between Sirius and Aldebaran, which is a bright reddish star in Taurus. Most of the stars in Orion are visible to the unaided eye, even in quite light-polluted areas. I know I can see it here in London. Easiest stars to spot in this constellation are Rigel, which is a bright bluish star, bottom right corner of the constellation, and then Betelgeuse, or Betelgeuse, which is a bright reddish star on the sort of top left of the constellation as well. If you happen to get your hands on a pair of binoculars or a telescope, the double cluster in Perseus is definitely something you should look out for. H. Persei and Chi Persei are two open clusters of stars, 7,460, and 7,640 light-years away from the Earth. To find them, look for the bright stars in Cassiopeia, forming a W-shape. Extend the distance between the two inner stars in Cassiopeia two times further to reach H. Persei and Chi Persei. If you're lucky enough to live in an area with less light pollution, you might even try searching for these clusters with your naked eye. They're roughly as bright as the famous Andromeda galaxy, and they're like a tiny foggy patch in the sky. So here's a trick to help you spot a double cluster in Perseus, as well as all other faint objects in the sky. Instead of looking directly towards the clusters, look a bit to the side while still concentrating on where the clusters are. If you haven't been able to see them before, you might be able to see them now. This technique is very old. It's possibly a technique that Aristotle used over 2,300 years ago. So our eyes have two main types of cells. One detect colour and bright lights, and the other detect dim lights. The first type of cells is concentrated in the central part of the eye called the fovea. The second type of cells are placed all around the fovea. When stargazing, we want to make use of these cells, hence the technique of averted vision. So Jupiter and Venus are the brightest planets in the night sky. And during the beginning of this month, so the 1st and 2nd of March, they're going to meet in the constellation of Pisces just after sunset. To see them, simply look for two very bright yellowish objects in the west. The best time to catch them is between 6.30 and 7.30, as they make their way slowly towards the horizon. If by any chance the weather isn't on your side, and you are keen on greeting these two, don't worry. Venus will be climbing higher and higher in the sky each night. Jupiter will head in the opposite direction towards the horizon, so make sure to catch it before it dips below the horizon at the end of March. Last month we discussed the Winter Triangle. 
And this month, you can see a red triangle. Yay, triangles. <laughs> Two of the brightest stars in the winter sky are joined by the red planet this month, forming a new triangle in the southwest. The bright reddish star in the shoulder of Orion, which could be Betelgeuse, we talked about earlier, is a very old red supergiant. West of Betelgeuse is Aldebaran, another reddish bright star, also known as the Bull's Eye, as it's placed where the eye of the zodiac constellation Taurus is supposed to be. These two are visited by Mars this month as it travels across the sky, and all three objects have a noticeable orange-reddish hue to them, making this a fun pattern to spot in the night sky. As days go by, Mars will continue travelling through Taurus towards Gemini, changing the shape of the triangle slightly, but staying visible to us. The southern sky, if you live in the southern hemisphere, is also full of wonders this March, one of which is the giant nebula in the constellation of Carina. This nebula is so luminous and large that it can be easily spotted with the unaided eye, if weather conditions allow it. To find it, simply look for the crux, the southern cross, and then turn your gaze a bit to the west. Using averted vision again might help you spot it easier, so give that a try. The Carina Nebula is a star-forming region. Behind the thick glowing clouds of gas, new stars are being formed this very second. This nebula is also home to a very peculiar star called Eta Carinae. So 170 years ago, it underwent an eruption. It released huge amounts of energy, something a bit like a supernova, we're not exactly sure and it became one of the brightest stars in the sky for a few years. But then, it started fading again, becoming more than 100 times dimmer, and eventually being unable to be seen with a naked eye at all. And then, it started getting brighter again. So, what we think so far is that Eta Carini is a system of two massive stars, one of which is extremely old and might soon go supernova. But the cause of this eruption, this brightening and dimming 170 years ago, still remains a total mystery. If you do take any photos of the night sky, please do tweet them to us at ROG Astronomers. You may also want to check out our Night Sky Highlights blog, which is on the website rmg.co.uk. But for now, it's time for our cosmic news. For anyone that hasn't listened to us before, this is where each of us brings one new news story, which is hard for me to say, one news story from the last month. Um, in the world of astronomy and space science, to the table. We'll tell each other our stories, and then the listeners, the public, you. everyone at home, you, yes, uh, can vote on which story you prefer. Shall we do a quick recap of last month, Avelia? Yeah, so last month, you spoke about Launcher 1. So this was supposed to be the first orbital launch from the UK. Unfortunately, they did have an anomaly. That's right, and then you discussed this observation of a partial star destruction, so a star being pulled into a black hole but not fully destroyed, and then going around for another turn. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, well, the Twitter poll is now over. We can reveal that the winner was... (laughs) Neither it was! It was a tie! (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. Have we ever had a tie before? Not with me and you. Oh, perfect. We can share in the victory. Yeah. Share in the glory. Yeah. Although it does mean that I, I, I am yet to be beaten by you, I believe. Do we count this? I, I, I am. Okay, well, we'll see if this month is any better then. I feel like you're going to win this time because, uh, well, one, it's a great story. And two, I don't know, I just feel like, you know, Do I've you... all become 
Four, four after a pride, right? Four comes after a pride. <laughs> you know what the saying is. Pride before a fall? Is that how That's say it? That's it. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, would you like me to go first? Yeah, go for it. Brilliant. So my news story this month is about the International Space Station. So the International Space Station is currently orbiting the Earth. Um, it's about about 400 kilometers up, going around and around at this very moment. And right now there are seven astronauts on board the ISS. I'm not going to list them all. <laughs> Seven astronauts, they must be quite cramped up there. It is fairly Usually cramped. it's about six, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so the, the problem started, there is a problem, that's what my new story is about. This problem started back in December. So in September 2022, uh, Soyuz MS-22 launched from the Baikonur cosmonaut drone, drone from the Baikonur launch site, and took three astronauts up onto the International Space Station. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know, there are currently two methods of getting astronauts to the International Space Station. So they can either go via a Soyuz spacecraft, uh, which is managed by the Russian Space Agency, or they can go in these new Dragon capsules, uh, which are a, uh, what do we call it, a commercial spacecraft, commercially developed spacecraft, but operated out of the United States. Soyuz has been going for many, many years, so all of these spacecraft are called Soyuz, and we just number them. So this was Soyuz 22 uh, that launched back in September, and it took one NASA astronaut and two Russian cosmonauts safely to the National, International Space Station. Everything was fine. Um, but on December the 14th, so a couple of months later, they were actually preparing for a spacewalk for an EVA um, when they reported a massive coolant leak coming from the Soyuz spacecraft. So the Soyuz took them up there, the spacecraft then docks with the space station and stays there for when they want to return. Um, but a huge amount of coolant was spraying out of the Soyuz out into space, where it instantly uh, freezes because it's cold in space. Um, so they had to cancel the spacewalk. They didn't know what would cause this, whether it would be a danger to the, to the astronauts on the spacewalk. Um, it was determined that it was probably a micrometeoroid impact. Ooh. Yeah. So there are bits of space rock out there in space, and they do very regularly make tiny tiny collisions with satellites and with crewed satellites like the ISS. But this was a fairly big impact because it, we think, caused a leak um, in this Soyuz spacecraft, which meant it was possibly not safe to be used mm. um, for a return journey. Luckily, it's not the only spacecraft on the ISS. There's also a, a Dragon capsule, which is this commercially developed spacecraft. SpaceX, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, there's also a, a Dragon capsule docked with the space station that brought three astronaut, four astronauts up earlier in the year. So the problem is that if there is any kind of emergency on the space station, all the astronauts have to leave the space station and come back down to the Earth. The space station itself cannot come back down to the surface of the Earth. It's no use as a life raft. So normally you have two. You have mm -hmm. the capsules that the sets of astronauts have arrived on. You've got the Soyuz and you've got the Dragon capsule in this case. But the problem is because they're not sure what sort of to the extent this coolant has leaked, they're not sure if it's safe to use the Soyuz capsule. Uh, so what they've done is there were three seats in the Soyuz. They've taken one of these seats out and they've fitted it into the Dragon capsule. So now there's five seats in the Dragon and there's two seats in the, in the Soyuz. Mm -hmm. So the hope is by having less seats in there, less sort of fuel and less coolant and less heat will develop, heat protection will be needed for the two astronauts if they do need to return to Earth in it. Okay. Um, yeah, but the plan was to send up an uncrewed Soyuz. So send up Soyuz 23, because this is Soyuz 22. So the idea was to send Soyuz 23 up to the space station without anyone on board, 
That one can be used to return astronauts safely to the Earth, and MS-22 we won't rely on at all, so we won't use that to send people down. Um, the launch was scheduled for this week, and it might still go ahead, um, but sadly, another spacecraft developed a leak a few days ago. So it's not just these human crewed capsules that go to the space station. They also send uncrewed, cap uncrewed capsules full of supplies and mm -hmm. fuel and food and, and snacks and presents for the astronauts sometimes, and scientific experiments and also snacks. Um, so one of these spacecraft, uh, it was called Progress 82. Uh, that launched back in, when was it? Oh, it was October. So a month after this Soyuz, that launched back in October. Again, safely docked with the space station. They unloaded all of the fuel and supplies they needed. Um, and these capsules are only single use. So at some point it was meant to undock and then they do a deorbit burn and it burns up in the atmosphere, normally full of rubbish. That's how they get rid of rubbish from the space station. Mm -hmm. um, but on February 11th, they reported that that was also potentially leaking coolant out into space. Um, they haven't yet confirmed a cause for this. So it could be another micrometeoroid impact, it could be something else. Um, but they delayed the deorbit burn, so they undocked it from the space station. It was in orbit of the Earth, and they were trying to study it for a while to work out what had happened. Because if this is an ongoing problem, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a real problem. Mm -hmm. But now they have safely sort of deorbited it, so that's burnt up full of trash in the atmosphere. But that might have caused a problem, meaning the Soyuz 23 might not launch as scheduled on the end of this week, so in the end of February. Um, but there is another Dragon capsule going to the Soyuz as well. Um, so once this new Dragon capsule gets up there, they'll have two viable spacecraft at the space station to return astronauts to the Earth. Okay. Yeah. So is the, is this, is the uh, Dragon capsule that's due to launch, is that going to be uncrewed as well? No, they're taking people in that one. Okay. So they're really, no, this is quite like a developing story. So I'm not quite sure what the plan is because mm. obviously the both space agencies, space agencies have to work in collaboration. Mm -hmm. All space agencies have to work in collaboration for this to work. Mm -hmm. um, so the it's crew six in this Dragon capsule because again, each, each capsule is called a Dragon capsule so they'll number them from which one is which. Um, it's going to have four astronauts on and it should be launching on the 26th of February, which is the end of this week while we're recording. Um, It'll have two NASA astronauts, one Russian cosmonaut, and also an astronaut from the UAE, from the United Arab Emirates, which will be the first long-duration space mission of a United Arab Emirates astronaut, mm. which is pretty cool. But again, this is ongoing, so I'm not sure if they're going to change any plans or yeah. if the Soyuz will get up there soon. Just trying to do the maths. Did it have enough seats for 11 astronauts to go back in those two Dragon capsules? Um, Dragon capsules were originally designed to seat seven, I believe, but oh, none of okay. them have been sent up there designed to seat seven, but maybe okay. they can reconfigure things so there'll be enough space to bring everyone down again. Yeah. The, um, the seat that you sit in when you go to space is not just any old seat. It's a, like a sort of a bucket seat, so you are pressed down into it during the forces of launch, and it's designed specifically for your, your height and your weight, your right. body type, so you can't swap between the two under, under ideal circumstances. You've got your own seat. Yeah. So that's... In the Soyuz, it was Frank Rubio, who was the NASA astronaut. It's his personal seat, which he's taken out of the Soyuz and put in the Dragon capsule. Um, and not just shoved in, I assume bolted <laughs> down in some way and, and fitted. So yeah, my new story was just the fact that we've had a second potential coolant leak or a second leak of some kind from a spacecraft on the ISS. Um, I just wanted to let you know how many people are in space. That's quite a lot. Yeah, I'm four more. And I believe there's currently astronauts um, at Tiangong as well, at the Chinese space station. Hmm. So there's quite a lot of people in space right now. Mm. So I guess those uh, some of those astronauts 
stayed in space longer than they thought. Yeah, their, their sort of mission duration has been extended mm. um, because they couldn't come back down on the Dragon capsule and then leave astronauts on the space station because then a... they wouldn't have a life raft, yeah. effectively. Yeah. I should say the astronauts that are currently on the space station include astronauts from uh, from Roscosmos, which is the Russian space agency, from NASA, um, and from JAXA, which is the Japanese space agency. And soon there'll be one from the UAE as well. Truly international. Truly international. If it was a micro-meteoroid impact that caused this leak, um, and I know they've, you know, moved one of the seats over mm-hmm. so that it will use less fuel and less coolant and stuff, but if that impact had created a hole in the side of a size, wouldn't that still be dangerous to use? Potentially. I think the hole isn't through the Soyuz into the crew capsule. Okay. It's just through some kind of like tank or pipe or external part. I don't know if they fixed the hole. Hmm. Hmm. I do know that... Uh, so impacts have happened before, and impacts are, like I said, small impacts, yeah. micrometeoroid impacts. You leave tiny little, tiny, tiny micro craters in spacecraft materials are fairly common. The ISS also makes detours. It makes adjustments to its orbit to avoid debris, and it made one of those very recently. So they realized that it was going to be on a collision course with a piece of uh, like jettisoned uh, rocket fairing, so a piece of a rocket that had taken something up into space. Mm-hmm. Um, but because everything is being tracked, or they try to track everything going around the Earth, they made some like a little bit of a burn on the thrusters, and they shifted the ISS slightly to keep it out of the way. Mm-hmm. So the ways you can avoid impacts in spaceflight is number one build your spacecraft out of materials that will survive the impacts Um, number two try and track where things are and keep your spacecraft out of the orbit of other bits of material and number three make sure there's not so much junk out in space yeah there's quite a lot of junk out there yeah Mm -hmm. Mm. and increasing (laughs) it's gonna say it's increasing and the more junk there is the more likely there'll be some kind of collision where an uncrewed spacecraft might might break into pieces which will create more junk Mm -hmm. which might break another spacecraft into pieces so it'll become exponential unless Mm -hmm. we sort of start solving the whole space junk problem Mm. Um, Mm. but all of the astronauts are fine and they're perfectly safe and the iss is working it's just that yeah the soyuz sprung a leak and now the the refueling resupplying mission sprung a leak as well Mm. Um, so it's a leaky leaky month cool cool so that's Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say that hopefully they'll come to a solution and so astronauts can get back home and maybe we can uh, talk about it next time when it does when it does get fixed. Yeah. So we'll have possibly a crewed and an uncrewed launch to the space station soon. Um, and then all those astronauts can come safely home and be replaced by a new crew. So yes, we can update everyone when that happens. <laughs> so that's my news story. Do you want to talk about your news story? Yeah. Well, technically, um, I don't just have one mm-hmm. news story. I don't even have two. I've got three. Three news stories. Three news stories. Feel like that's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all about Jupiter's moons. Oh, I knew it was going to be about Jupiter with you. Okay. Yeah. Fair. If they're all thematically linked, I'll let you have three. Okay. Go on then. You. What are they? Uh, so, firstly, we found not me, not we personally. We as humans. We as humans. Uh, astronomers have found 12 new moons orbiting around Jupiter. Wow. Uh, which brings the total up to 92. So almost 100 moons orbiting uh, around Jupiter right now. So 
Jupiter has passed Saturn. Now Jupiter has the most number of moons out of all the planets in our solar system. Um, Saturn has 82, I think, or 83. But, I mean, this is, this is currently right. We're always finding new things up there. So I wouldn't be surprised in a couple of years we'll find new ones around Saturn and then the race will just keep going. <laughs> I mean, part of, our, part of our roles here at the observatory involves teaching people about the solar system and about the moons of the solar system. So we're going to have to update all of our slides. Yeah. Yeah, we should get on that because it's all incorrect now. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I just say over 200 moons. <laughs> mm, smart, yeah, keep it vague. <laughs> uh, so these new moons, what are they like? Most of these new moons are quite small. They are quite far away from, from Jupiter itself. So they take somewhere around 300 to 400 days, Earth days, um, to orbit around Jupiter. Wow, okay. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're quite far out. And nine of these 12 are amongst the, the most outermost uh, moons okay. around Jupiter. We think that Jupiter probably captured these moons because they go in retrograde, so they orbit mm-hmm. around Jupiter in the opposite direction to the inner moons. And only five of these retrograde moons are bigger than eight kilometers. Okay. So we think maybe they're, they're probably uh, formed by collisions. So a bit like the space junk. Mm. Things are always crashing into each other, fragmenting, causing you know more and smaller pieces to, to, to fly out. Um, and uh, in this case, uh, creating new moons uh, around Jupiter. So when you say collisions, is this one of the existing moons of Jupiter has had something collide with it? Probably. No way. Probably. So do we have to account for that in the maths? Because if it had 79 moons, one broke up, it had 78, <laughs> but then all those broken pieces became moons of their own. Uh, maybe, or, or, or maybe an asteroid crashed into one of the uh, bigger moons and kicked that material into space. So, so the bigger moons still survive. Oh, okay. But bits of it right, I might see. have, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. come off them. Do you know how these moons were discovered? So we've got lots of different telescopes taking surveys of the sky. Um, and they can see very faint objects move around. Um, and to confirm whether a moon is a moon, you have to watch it orbit the planet at least once. So actually, one of these moons take uh, about 550 uh, days, which is just under uh, two years. Um, so astronomers have been looking at this moon oh. for for almost two years. You just have to be to very check. patient. Yeah. Yeah. I bet they wanted to help, wanted to tell people ages ago that they discovered a moon, but they had to <laughs> had to wait. <laughs> Do you, I have more questions about moons? Yeah. But I know you need to ha- give me two other news stories as well. My very important question is: Do they have names yet? No, not not yet. Um, actually, most of the moons around Jupiter don't have names. Um, mm. Most of the smaller ones don't. Um, they probably have, you know, very horrible codes to remember. Mm. Yeah. So, so some of these, three, three of the newly discovered moons um, are in prograde uh, motion. So they go around the same direction as, as the inner moons um, and they lie in between the... Galilean moons and these far-out uh, retrograde moons. Um, and those ones 
uh, a fault to to have formed where they were. So when oh. Jupiter and all the other uh, moons were forming, like the Galilean moons, um, some of these newly discovered moons were made at the same time as well. Oh, okay. So some of these moons formed from a, a collision or some kind of breakup, but some of them have always been there mm-hmm. and we just hadn't seen them before mm-hmm. because they're small, possibly? Yes, because they're small. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there is a certain distance away from, from Jupiter. Cause, so these moons, like our moon, they don't give out their own light. They only reflect sunlight. Um, and because Jupiter also reflects sunlight, uh, there's, there's quite a lot of glare uh, around Jupiter. So if you've got a fairly small object quite close to Jupiter, the glare of Jupiter will just outshine okay. the light that this moon would, would reflect, um, which makes it harder. Can I suggest some names? Sure. Okay. Submit them, and then the IAU can uh, approve or... Disapprove? <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> astronomers like themes, don't they? So mm. currently all the moons of Jupiter are named after people that Jupiter interacted with in, in different myths and legends about Jupiter the god. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to think, we'll have to do some reading up on our mythology before yeah. we suggest names. Okay, yeah. awesome. And what are your other news stories? Your related news stories? Related news stories. So the four most famous moons around Jupiter are the Galilean moons. So the four biggest ones Io, Europa, Ganymede, and Callisto. Firstly, Europa and Callisto and Ganymede, we believe, have an underground ocean uh, of water, liquid water, and it's still built for mystery what kind of water they they, they have. Oh, what um, do you mean by what kind of water? Uh, so we think they're salty water, oh, okay. which means not like salt water, not like sea salt but like it's got other sort of elements um, in, in the water. But using different um, spacecraft and different telescopes, they found that the surface of Jupiter's moons were more watery than expected. Okay. Instead of, I guess, more frozen. Mm. But uh, what, they, what these scientists did was they compressed a tiny bit of salty water. Um, so in this case, they used water and sodium chloride, which is table salt. So they compressed the salty water between two diamonds, each about the size of a, a grain of sand. Wow, and, very small diamonds. Mm, and they squeezed the liquid uh, up to uh, about 25,000 times the standard atmospheric pressure. So the pressure that we feel here at uh, sea level on mm-hmm. the Earth. And because the diamonds were transparent, the team could watch what happened um, through a microscope. So previously, scientists have seen um, sodium chloride forming a similar structure with, um, with water when they freeze. So you've got one salt molecule for every two water molecules. But in this case, they found one salt molecule for every 17 water molecules. Wow. And a second type, uh, where they found one sodium chloride molecule for every 13 water molecules. And this seems to match up with what they're seeing on um, Europa and Callisto and, uh, and Ganymede. So there's a new type of ice um, that we didn't know about before. That's really cool. Um, and that's really exciting because that could help explain why you've got, you know, water, liquid water, 
so far away from from the sun. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's it's cold out there. Most mm. things would freeze. Mm. But depending on the the sort of structure of these ices and the concentration of, of salts and minerals in the ices, we yeah. might have liquid where we would normally have frozen water. The salt kind of acts a bit like antifreeze. Mm-hmm. Stops it from freezing completely. I guess a bit like when we when we grip paths here on Earth, we throw salt exactly onto ice and it melts into water. Yeah, exactly. salty water freezes at a lower temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they also found was that the structures actually remain stable even after you've taken the pressure away. So if you if you return the pressure to normal, that structure uh, with one sodium uh, chloride molecule and a 17 or 13 water molecules that stays stable so that stays where it is Mm. and it can stay stable when the temperature um, is at about minus 50 degrees celsius it's pretty cold pretty cold warmer than the surface of these moons yeah it'd be so yeah yeah yeah. um but that's roughly how cold it is in uh in antarctica oh so perhaps if we you know look uh, at Antarctica, we find these uh, these structures there too. Mm. Interesting. So we've not only learned something about Jupiter's moons, we've discovered a whole new structure of, of water ice. Mm. That's really cool. Mm. And that's really um, in time with um, a couple of upcoming missions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so firstly, the European Space Agency are launching JUICE um, in April of this year. And JUICE is going to... Uh, study dose-free Galilean moons, and then it's going to orbit around Ganymede for a while. And its main task is to see or to study sort of the water um, that these moons have, and you know how habitable they are. So it's very, uh, very timely uh, discovery there. Nice, exciting. So we've discovered things before we've even set off, but we'll find out more things when we yeah. get there. Yeah, and I guess now we know what to look for. With, uh, with juice mm, when it gets there. special kinds of ice. Mm. Cool. By my count, that's two moon facts, two mm-hmm. moon news stories. What's your third moon news story? The third one is that they found a new kind of aurora on the Galileo moon. And I feel like we should point out to everyone that your PhD subject was was on aurora and Jupiter, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. Do we call it a PhD subject? <laughs> Thesis topic. Thesis, yeah, topic. Thesis. Research area. Your area of research. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So that was on Jupiter's Rory. Mm-hmm. But the moons have them too? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, they work in a slightly different way. Um, so out of the Galilean moons, Ganymede is the only one with its own magnetic field. So usually for a planet or a world to have an aurora, it has to, it tends to have, they tend to have magnetic field so this um, accelerates the charged particles into the atmosphere what's going on at io europa and callisto is that well all of these moons are within jupiter's magnetic field and jupiter has an insane magnetic field doesn't it it does yeah so its magnetic moment is twenty thousand times stronger than the earth's mm-hmm. and these charged particles they get sort of Accelerated by Jupiter's magnetic field or Ganymede, in, in the case of Ganymede, and they interact with the atmospheres of these moons. So kind of similar to what, what's going on in Venus. So Venus 
has some kind of auroral emissions. Um, so the solar wind particles interact directly with Venus's atmosphere. Um, so they don't get accelerated by a magnetic field because Venus doesn't have a magnetic field. And by studying the colour of the aurora on these moons, astronomers can figure out what kind of gases are in their atmosphere. Ooh. So we've known that Ganymede and uh, Europa, I believe, um, have auroras. They were previously seen in infrared and ultraviolet, but never before in the visible um, wavelengths. So this is, this, is, this is really new. They actually found that the visible aurora on these four moons were, were red which means that there's oxygen in oh, their atmospheres. Oh, interesting. Obviously, of course, the Earth has lots of oxygen in its atmosphere, um, but the aurora that we get tends to be green, and that's because we, well, we've got a lot of oxygen, so there's a thick sort of band of oxygen uh, in, in our atmosphere. The further you go from the Earth's surface, the thinner the air is, um, and there you do find red aurora from the oxygen. You don't see the red lower down because the red light actually gets absorbed by other oxygen um, molecules or atoms, um, and then they give it out back out in, in, in as a form of green light. But because the oxygen around Io, Europa, Ganymede and Callisto are quite thin, um, they don't get absorbed as easily Okay. As it does here. So that's why the auroras there are red. That's really cool. Mm. Can I ask a question? Mm. So the reason that the Earth's northern lights and southern lights are at the north and south, in the north and south, is because that's where the Earth's magnetic field has its north and south poles. Mm -hmm. If these moons don't have an internal magnetic field to accelerate particles, do the aurora happen anywhere? They could. Um, so for Ganymede... Its auroras, or at least its ultraviolet aurora, are closer to the to equator than you might expect. Mm -hmm. And that's to do with how Ganymede's magnetic field interacts with Jupiter's magnetic field. So where those field lines enter Ganymede, they fall sort of t more towards the equator than at the poles. Okay. I haven't seen, actually, the images from, from um, the other three moons, so I'm not quite sure where their aurora is but not necessarily the poles mm. okay mm. very cool i would love to stand on europa mm. and look up at the glowing red aurora and uh sort of tied in with the other story the mm. last story they found that these moons have less water vapor in their atmosphere than than thought because if they've got you know liquid water underneath the surface and some do escape out into the atmosphere through, you know, like, geyser-like events, then you'd think that there, that there must be water vapour in their atmosphere, right? But they they haven't found, you know, as much as they thought. Only traces, minimal traces oh. of water vapour. Is that possibly something that uh, Juice will answer for us? Possibly, mm. yeah. The other mission coming up um, is NASA's, called Europa Clipper. So as the name suggests, uh, it's going to focus more on Europa, uh, and that will launch... Sometime next year, in 2024. Okay. I think we spoke about the Europa Clipper on the podcast a few months back. Um, and my favourite fact about it is it's named a Clipper, and a Clipper was a, a very fast kind of ship. Mm -hmm. um, and here at the Royal Observatory, we're very close to the Cutty Sark, which is also a Clipper. Yeah. Yeah, but a, a sea Clipper and not a space Clipper. Yeah. 
Is there anything else you want to tell me about all of your Jupiter Moon related news stories? Shall I tell you how they detected these uh, visible auroras on yes, the moon? Yes, please. So a bit like what we were saying before, how Jupiter's glare is really bright and it can easily outshine any moons around it. Kind of the same was going on here. So when the moons were in um, Jupiter's shadow, you could barely see the moons themselves because they're not getting much sunlight. But they saw sort of, I guess, little specks um, from the auroras. um, And that's how they knew that they were looking at the moons because they could see a little bit of light from Ah, from the aurora. So only when it was in the dark and there was no sunlight reflecting Mm. off it, they noticed there was another kind of light. Mm. Because if the moons were in the daylight, the visible aurora will be lost in in the sunlight. Uh, a bit like actually Jupiter's uh, visible aurora as well. You can only see them in the nighttime. Ah, uh-huh. I guess a bit like ours as well. Yeah, a bit like yeah. ours. Yeah. So in my head earlier, when you were saying that these the new moons that were discovered haven't been found before because the glare of Jupiter is too bright, I was picturing Jupiter like a really really big mirror, mm. and the tiny moons as like little slivers of broken mirror. And so mm. if you shine like a floodlight on that, the big mirror will reflect lots of light and the little bits of mirror won't reflect as much light. So I guess now my analogy has to include the little slivers of mirror going into the shadow of Jupiter so no light is reflecting off them and then they start glowing of their own accord because of the aurora. So it's a bit like, I don't know, if there was a little tiny torch Mm -hmm. on that sliver of mirror. Or a glow stick of some kind. Yeah, thank you. Gotta have a mental image. (laughs) Um, amazing, that's a really cool way of, of finding things. Mm. Yeah, and they used uh, the Keck Observatory to, to do that. Oh, which is a ground-based observatory, isn't it? It is, yeah. Mm. So non-space observatory-related news, because I feel like we've done a couple of JWST yeah. stories. Yep. <laughs> so those are our two stories for this month. Yep, so we've got an update on the astronauts on the ISS and this potential second coolant leak, and then we've got all of the moon-related news stories, the Jupiter's moon-related news stories, the new moons, the new types of ice on the moons, and then the new aurora spotted on the moons. Mm-hmm. Awesome. <laughs> so I guess all that's left to say is at the start of the month, so at the start of March, March 2023, we will put a poll on our Twitter account, which is at ROG Astronomers. You can go to that Twitter account and you can vote for your favourite news story so we can see who wins. Will Ophelia continue to win? Will I finally have a win? We'll see. We'll find out. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And keep looking up.